section of a podcast. Here's direct to peace theater. Oh, oh baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just caught at the beginning of a podcast. <laughs> Uh, and now now I guess it's starting <laughs> uh, that's what you get for coughing you, cough, oh, you, you get an intro asshole. out of that cough that's what you get baby <laughs> I'm gonna talk for a long time too okay uh, what are what is this what is this you heard the guy say it this is director piece theater baby yeah baby uh, and, uh, yeah, this is, uh, where we basically were two directors, uh, and we talk about direction in movies Yeah, we do. and we usually try to find uh sleeper hits or, uh, things that we wouldn't expect that were considerably well thought out yeah. or just basic theories about the movies. Right. That's kind of what this podcast is. Plus it's just because, uh, myself, Abe Epperson and my co-host Adam, say your name. Adam Ganser. A- Adam, it's me. Uh, uh, our, uh, we both love to talk to each other. We do. And, uh, we're doing it in a theater also. That is, don't think yeah. the theater doesn't matter. It fucking matters. We're doing it in a theater. We're doing it in a <laughs> I'm theater I'm wearing a right tuxedo, now. like a real yeah. maniac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. a monocle. Uh, oh. It hurts my eye, yeah. though, so I sometimes have to take it Yeah, you it gotta out. squint to keep uh, it in. It hurts. Yeah. For a whole podcast? That, it's tough. I, it's <laughs> tough. It's tough on old Abra's peepers. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so this episode, if you read the thing. Oh, I read it. Because we all read the thing. Holy shit. I'm calling this, and I'm not sure if this is going to be the title that I keep because it's kind of long. I'm starting to give myself high, like highfalutin titles. I'm liking that. Like I'm a, a real essayist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm calling this one Clueless. Self-identity and subculture in music and art. Because when I watched this movie, it just... It's uh it recently, to my surprise, it was just put on Netflix. Uh, it, so uh, I, pop, uh, I, I popped it on the old bra- into the old browser, yeah. and I gave it I gave it a peeper. <laughs> and uh, it's been a while since I watched the film, but I always had like beloved memories of this film. Yeah. and I was just like, let's see how this one goes. And uh, I knew it had a cult following, and I know it was like critically talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. But I saw it when I was pretty young because I you know um, it came out in '95. And uh, it uh, more or less that was when I was ten. So yeah. I was right before. Like this is like a thoroughly like I'd say Gen X movie. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. And uh, this is I'm right on that cusp. So it's like it it, it kind of didn't fly by me. I was aware of culture and stuff and knew what it was talking about even as a young kid. But um, you're not an Xer. Yeah, it definitely wasn't one that I was like, oh, this is sneaky smart. Turns out, in my opinion. Sneaky smart. Well, you're not an Xer. You're not a. You're not. A, no, you're not, not a cusp. On, you're not even close to the Xers. Yeah, you're five no, six no, years no. removed from the Xers. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like you, you don't. You don't get to be part of the Kurt Cobain generation. You're not. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. You know what? This is great. Yeah. This is so great. Yeah. It's like you set me I, up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> By the, the, the amount, the amount. I, this couldn't be better because you're fucking gatekeeping. Oh yeah, I am. Fucking culture. Yeah, I am. By talking about how culture is defined. I am. This is gonna be great, and Thank that's you. what Clues is about. Because. All right. I, can I just? I'm gonna go through can my I theory, briefly, okay? Sure, but can I briefly say? Uh, Hit me. Hit me. I, I I can't I cannot begin to express my gratitude to you, Abe, for for letting me watch Clueless again. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. You could have done that. All I could have. When I wouldn't have, I, I just uh-huh. it, it wouldn't have happened. Had it not been for this show, I wouldn't have watched Clueless again, which mm-hmm. I enjoyed so much 
that I was sending you emails about it the entire time I was watching it. I, I was sending you emails about like, and I was, I'm surprised to learn, by the way, that this entire podcast is not about the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones because it sure as hell could be. It really could yeah. be. <laughs> uh, yeah, get, yeah, sure, sure. Get it out of your system. Nope, I'm not man. gonna. I'm gonna be like that fucking dance guy that I got who's we'll, dancing. We'll, uh, every 10 minutes we'll check in with the boss. We can because the grimace the lead singer has on his face the entire scene. Uh, it blows my perfect. mind. It's a time. It's just a perfect snapshot it's so good. of history. It, 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 it just tells you. Oh, look, <laughs> what was God up to in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> Turns, out he, the Turns out he was one of us. Turns out he was one of us. Just a slob like one of us. <laughs> just a slob like one of us. Okay. So I have a theory that well, it's, it's more of, it's less, it's, it's less of a theory in terms of like cohesive, like it's absolutely this. Mm-hmm. And it's more of like, I think that this approach was significantly well done enough that it's, it makes this movie unique in a time where there wasn't movies that were doing this type of thing. I agree with that. And so that's kind of what the framing of the argument, I'm not going to talk about shot, like shots or like uh, shot selection or angles or any, like sometimes we talk about the craft of the episodes in that regard, but there's also a directorial craft that is just like, how are you going to navigate this very murky space? Um, that your movie is about and what it's taking place, uh, where it's taking place and how people are watching it and how people are, um, you know, as a viewer, as a listener represented in that media. Um, and you got to kind of, that's your job to kind of laser focus on the stuff that matters and disregard the stuff that matters less. Yeah. Especially when you're going to make a high school movie because a high school movie, uh, you have the task of, you have sort of two tasks you got to mm. capture what high school is at the moment the movie comes out, mm-hmm. uh, but you yeah. also have to and satirize high school. Exactly, exactly. That's when it, when you start satirizing thing, things, because then you start having a point. Yes, uh, correct. And it's not just a fun little thing. And, you know, we like to have points. We should have points. Um, sure. And that's why Clueless is in really good hands with Amy Heckerling. Because Amy Heckerling, uh, who directed this film, is... Uh, a pretty goddamn solid director and people don't actually know like her that well because she hasn't worked a ton, but she was working since like the early eighties and has been working until like, I don't know, like uh, as of a few years ago, although she's doing a considerable amount more of TV. Uh, but in terms of like the things that you'll remember that she directed uh, as an, in film, mostly in the eighties, she did uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's insane. I yep. had no she idea. Did, uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation. That's also insane. Um, and she was like the big, she was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like she was a writer, director, like she didn't write Fast Times, but she was a part of like the creation of it to the point that she was put, like she did all the TV, there's Fast Times, there's a TV like series based on it and stuff like that. Like she was involved in all this stuff. So she was like, the Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like one of the head creative people, showrunner, I believe. Um, <clears throat> Look Who's Talking. Two. Look Who's Talking Two, right? Both of them. She did both? She did both, yeah. Wow. No, no, she, she did two. She, no, no, she did two and Look Who's Talking Now. She, she did Look Who's oh, Talking in 89. Oh, she did do that. You're right. Writer, director. Holy she shit. Did, uh, 1990, Look Who's Talking 2. Wow. And she did uh, Look Who's Talking Now just as a producer. Wow. And then that's kind of, 
she hadn't directed since Look Who's Talking 2, which was 90. And then uh, Clueless came out in 95. And she wrote and directed and produced it. And so this is like an entirely her baby. Um, and it's it's that's just something... That's who we're talking about in this episode, and it's a return. Um, it's a return to high school as a subject matter, yeah. Uh, which was where yeah. she started her career. Because Fast yeah. Times at Ridgemont High is sort of a, it's actually a definitive movie for like high school. Oh movies. yeah, it's totally defi- That's what I think she understands is yeah. what makes things definitive. And I would argue that this movie is better than Fast Times. I but that's agree. So what this is kind of about is it kind of a holistic presentation of. Um, piecing together what the filmmakers were trying to say and what she was like, what she ended up landing on in terms of like what was going on in the zeitgeist at the time. And also from the perspective of us in 2020, looking at the film and seeing like how, how salient were these points, how prophetic were these things? Um, that's kind of what I want to examine today. So I can't, uh, think of a more laser focused cultural stab, uh, to gen X than 1995's clues, right? Like, that was pretty damn scathing. It like it birthed, uh, you know, Valley Girls and such. Like it, it was pretty. It was pretty dunking on the youth, right? That's what it seemed like it was doing. Would you say that uh, that was different from when you first viewed it? I was pro- okay. So like the thing that I remembered about it, uh, that I was surprised by, and it relates to what you're saying, is that it was an adaptation of Jane Austen. What I didn't remember... Yeah, of Emma. Of Emma, of specifically, Emma specifically, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, what I didn't remember about it is that it was, like, setting up the main characters to be sort of vapid. Like, I, like yeah, I didn't yeah. think of it as it was supposed to be satirizing this culture. Uh, that's the question. Yes, like, that's the question. So is it just bringing up Valley Girls and the Glitterati and just dunking on them? Is that all this movie is? Because then that makes it, like pop star or like another like a different um like another comedy that's about like a culture uh in terms of like uh one that we like to make fun it of. makes it you just know, a jane austen adaptation also because because it also just makes a romantic comedy that's just like kind of quirky or whatever well, no this thing is coming out from the from the get-go it's scraping at the beverly hills like culture oh, big time and these yeah, and the Valley Girl stereotype that it kind of birthed, you know, like just think about like as if whatever, oh. like these are things that wouldn't be in our language <laughs> no. if it wasn't for this movie, frankly, because Valley Girls wouldn't be even on the map. Maybe in something would come along later. Yeah. But like this is what put it on the map, Abe, right? I need you to know something. Uh, I'm going to hope my sister never hears this podcast. When I was, my sister was so excited to see this movie uh, when it came out. That, Hell that yeah. when she watched it, by the way, she's younger. She's about four or five years mm-hmm. younger. So she was closer to your age. Uh, yeah. When she watched it, she took notes on the language <gasps> of the movie. That's awesome. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I now, love she's, it. A, she's a kid. The, she's a kid. So. Uh, but that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was, that's how it was seen. Yes. Is that. Correct. Was, people perceived it to be a, like, a. A standpoint in culture, yes. and that's like kind of the divide I want to talk about. It was about. a user's is manual it... to kids. It was a user's manual <laughs> yeah. for how to be interesting and fun, which is the opposite of what it looks like when you're watching it now. Right. It looks like and it's I supposed wanna... to be a satire, and it's like everybody took it like, no, this is fucking awesome, is what it is. 
And what's kind of great about that analogy is that that's kind of what I think that this movie was. That's kind of me, kind of what I'm getting to with my thesis is I'll just kind of, like, I kind of, kind of come out and uh, say Thank it. you. Like, uh, by, by your sister doing that, <laughs> that comes out of a tradition of producers and... Um, I don't know, the people who thought they knew, definitely in music, studio execs, determining what they thought sonic culture was mm-hmm. and applying it to demographics. Like, we all know about the, like, stereotype about the, oh, well, that works for that demographic. We'll give them that sound and that's, they're going to love it because they're kids from the suburbs and they love that shit. You know, like, that kind of trope of a, like, businessman who doesn't understand the music or the movie or the culture Mm -hmm. dictating what the culture is for other people. That was so entrenched in how we did movies like this teen movies in particular that uh, like people felt and wanted to go to the movies with like notes. They (laughs) wanted to say, what am I supposed to learn today? That's how we self identified as a culture. Here's what here's that's the place we're at that's the scaffolding we're standing upon clues comes in and says that let's not do that and let's give a message of healthy female friendship identifying with self being wrong and essentially finding out like cultures don't obey your rules you just obey your rules and then cultures are formed because we're all witnessing it and that's what that's how the definition of culture should be. It's bottom up. It's not top down. Ooh. And that Ooh. orientation is what I think Heckerling is doing. And I think she kind of nails it. And I'm going to explain why, because she does a few things in just the framing of the movie um, that really sets that home for me. And so I'm noticing that the film's fascinated by things like music, ads, culture, art, brands, and identity. These are things that come up time and time again. It basically blows them up to abstraction in one sequence and then reifies it in the next one by making like an actual story beat, which is different from just like, oh, look at that weird guy over there being weird. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, back to our story. This is like, look at that weird thing being weird. That is now our story. Now we're going to go over there and see what makes them tick. And I can't, I think the cleanest elucidation of what Clueless and uh, Heckerling is doing is the music. It's really, it's, uh, and it's it, interesting you're saying all this because now I'm thinking about the movie and I'm like, yeah, most movies like had a soundtrack, had art in them, had stuff that like were culture identifiers, sure. like every John Hughes movie or whatever. But the movies weren't about that. And Clueless mm-hmm. is about that. It's about how those things define culture, right. and that's wrong. And Clueless is, Clueless is like, again, the 90s kind of grew as the, as the decade went along more and more sort of self-reflexive. And mm-hmm. Clueless sort of becomes this like a movie that's aware of media, and like there's a kind of self-reflexiveness to it. Uh, that you're examining right now because it does consciously do all the things you're saying it's doing. Yeah, uh, it does. It's interesting. And I'll show why yeah, yeah. in a few examples. Uh, but I want to pick apart music first. And I found a lot of what I'm talking about. There's, if you want to get really into depth and if you want to watch like a great companion when you're watching this, is that there's an article that you can kind of find online 
Uh, it's uh, by a guy named Ben Aslinger, and it's called Clueless About Listening Formations, which is a bad name. And they, it's because it ends with a question. That's yeah. why my <laughs> inflection went up. I don't know why he titled it as a question, but I think he's trying to do a thing where it's like, as if, or I don't know what he's it's, doing because the language is very much a it's part of grad writer being about. a jackass and trying to be yeah, funny. It's but like, dude, just the, write your uh, paper. The article is very good. Yeah. Uh, and it talks about how this era was a power shift, like in music away from studio executives trying to craft and sell what they thought would like sonically work on adolescence uh, to one where uh, the directors and producers and music su- supervisors of movies and albums and such place music in visual uh, like TV or film contexts of those demographics. Basically like what I was saying, like a more bottom up version of identity politics. People don't remember that pre like nineties when you'd hear a track, it wouldn't necessarily, it would be co-opted completely. Like it would be just be like, Oh, we like that track or it was created for this, like the eighties. Yeah play it over white people, you know, right, like right, play right, right. black music over white right. people or that not even that happened because there's a whole other crazy amount of bullshit that dictates that. But it's like, it was co-opted to the, like into Hollywood. This is the first time that we're starting to see like, which is crazy. Cause this is 1995. Uh, you're seeing like the music on, in a mainstream movie uh, being represented by those subcultures that are actually there. And that's kind of intense. That's true. So I'm yeah. gonna, so so I'm gonna argue that Clueless's deployment of nods to music culture and all these things marks the change in Hollywood's tactics about how targeting demographics and subculture works in in popular films. It like really is a signal to this change. Um, you mentioned Emma. I want to kind of. I think that's kind of rele- relevant because it's yeah, it's based on J- Jane Austen's Emma, and it kind of frames the identity conceit of what I'm talking about here when I say self-identity. The reason I think that's relevant is because they're both obviously plot-wise about a kind of scampish spirit, Cher, or, you know, in Jane Austen's Emma, playing a matchmaker. They both take advantage of complex nuances of subcultures and that they, they essentially over the span of the, you know, movie or the book, they come into contact with. This was a trend in the late 90s, which I don't know if, if people are, uh, knew this, but it was kind of funny. Like, especially in the late 90s, turning classic literature into teen movies was a thing. Yep. Ten Things I Hate About You is Taming of the Shrew. Uh, she, <laughs> She's All That is uh, Pygmalion. <laughs> uh, Cruel Intentions is Dangerous Liaisons. Yep. And my favorite, <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet. Because... I mean, that's just my favorite film. You Haven't I always said that in film school? I was always like, can we make a class about Romeo plus Juliet, please? I believe I've seen you uh, take a physical dump on a copy of it, if I'm not mistaken. No, no it's, it's fantastic. So I think it's relevant because Heckerling either had to or wanted to show this kind of, and when I say had to, is like, there seemed to be like a call for these kinds of things. I don't know why, but right. they were like, yeah, somebody's can like, we be on like Emma. Yeah. I mean, partly <laughs> like, it's because as if kids are going like, wait, they're doing a rematching of Emma. Yeah. I got to get to the theater. Give me that sweet Austin. Uh, Give me that sweet Austin right in the veins. Yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> but also I think it's because like that tells you the studios are like desperate for public domain content because by the <laughs> yeah. way, this is like, there's another Emma that gets made. That's just Emma. Uh, yeah, like it's just a couple Emma. years <laughs> later, yeah. yeah, like it's like two, three years. The thing that's interesting about Emma as a high school movie uh, is that, like, so every Jane Austen movie, kind of Jane Austen 
plot sort of works the same way, which is the main character is very talented and wonderful and part of high society. That's very important. They're always part of high society, but they have this flaw, right? And the flaw usually is a thing they're not aware of, but because of a course of Mm -hmm. civil embarrassments, like societal embarrassments, they become aware of this flaw, right? And so Clueless is a really great idea because like, mm. you know, high school, that's teenage. Yes. That's becoming an adult yes. and, and you know, realizing, Oh shit, I am culpable for everything. And I the do. cast oh, system thanks. idea is so baked into, t- and into high school as mm. a concept mm. that you can do this, like queen of the high school plays matchmaker and doesn't understand how she's hurting people conceit. Cause yeah. that's Emma, you know, like anyway. And I, I think Heckerly knows whether she was told to or, or and made it work or she wanted to do it. I, I don't know. I don't have her in the room. But um, at the very least, it speaks to, like, obviously she's going to play with this timeless tradition of being an adolescent, you know? And so let's talk about what the 90s, what that musical landscape and what Clueless's original soundtrack and source material that it's using for its songs really are. <clears throat> And there's a bit to unpack because there's like 44 songs. I'm not going to go over all of them, but I'll pick some ones that I think are very specifically telling of what I think the Clues soundtrack is doing. So teen audio cultures in the 90s were like actually more diverse than ever before. They're not diverse relative to now, and they won't be in the future, but they were at the time. For example, look at 10 years earlier or so with American Graffiti, which was hailed uh, as like one of the great, great like soundtracks of that generation. It's like a late fifties, early sixties teen soundtrack with like beach boys and such. This was a soundtrack for a very specific it's time. A, it's it's and boomer tunes. That is, that's what it is. It's boomer yep. tunes. Yep. And uh, so this is already in a model of how teen movies work signaling to other to teens to the demographic of teens listen to this music and such when you realize you have that scaffolding uh i think heckerling does an interesting thing to do does an interesting thing for that because rather than identifying one like angus or something like that another teen movie (laughs) of the 90s rather than or even empire uh records like taking a subculture and then putting it on screen and saying, here's what it is. Even Napoleon Dynamite, like the subculture of indie rock or something like that. Um, Let's bring everyone into that subculture and understand it. That's not what Clueless is doing at all. The soundtrack is a grab bag of indie rock, alternative, uh, Riot Girl music, uh, hip hop. It's all, all, they're all present in the movie and it's a nod to the uptick in like things like uh, hip hop and white middle-class tastes. It's like reflective of like what the culture was starting to flirt with, as opposed to saying like, we are now hip hop. It's not that it's not trying to say anything about hip hop. It's just saying people were listening to hip hop now all around in multiple quadrants. And it's just like, okay, so let's reflect that. So you have like people, you have artists like in Vogue and salt and Peppa. And they have Shoop. They sure uh, did. Coolio's rolling with the homies is in there. Yeah. There's all. There's also sometimes a focus on rebellious and punk genres that kind of push an identity-searching teenage vibe, like No Doubt's Just a Girl uh, or the Muffs cover of Kim Wilde's Kids in America. Uh, lastly, the co- several covers kind of point to the late 
boomer, early Gen X version of adolescent music. And I think that's her kind of having fun with it. Like the Muffs cover is one of them. Jewel covers Eric Carmen's All By Myself. Uh, yes, by love myself. that. You know, Counting Crows is in there covering the psychedelic furs Ghost in uh, You. All mid 70s to even early 80s tracks. Yeah. Uh, there's an additional score covering Radio's Iron yep. Lung uh, that is like a cover of it, basically. Um, the Beatles' Let It Be is in there. Like, in, in other words, they're generationally variant, and they're not trying to say, like, one is particular to any person. No. They just jump it's, around. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, because to, to contrast mm. with Empire Records, uh, a movie that mm. I like because of the soundtrack, uh, as I recall, you and I have argued about Sponge numerous times, Abe. Oh, yeah. Uh, we love talking about Sponge. Sure. Uh, Clueless is not trying to put together a cool soundtrack. Like it's not, not like it's nearly as no. it's not like uh it's not like creating a record store. Like it's not even it's not saying here's the anthem of our generation. Yes. No, fuck that Correct. shit. <laughs> Go home. Correct. Like Breakfast Club is trying to do that. Even High Fidelity yeah. is trying to do that. But like Clueless is not doing. Clueless is just representing music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and. and even though Bever- like I'm trying to separate like what we're looking at and w- the way in which we're looking at it sure. because like it is still looking at Beverly Hills mostly white people Definitely. that's true yeah and I'm going to go into that later about how she navigates that space and why that's interesting or why there's flaws apparent in right. that the um, closest but I do think that the framing that we do know just looking at like the track list is what the fuck is going on with this teeny Totally, which is basically what it was like to be in high school in the nineties. Because you know, if you're at your dances or whatever, there'd be like you would fluctuate pretty wildly between genres. That was a pretty regular experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say if the movie got close at all to framing a soundtrack, it would have been just a whole Mighty Mighty Boss Tones album. That's just yeah, right, right. That's the soundtrack for Clueless. Let's cut to the Mighty Mighty Boston's. Do you have anything to say about? My God, no. Turns out they're irrelevant. The grimace, (laughs) the grimace the lead singer has. I can't get over it. I'll never get over it. His facial expression. Even they, I have a, I have a part for them in my theory. Thank you. I'm glad. But it's later, so let's let's shut that faucet off for now. So I want to talk about Clueless and femininity. Thank you. In music specifically. First off, let's talk about Alicia Silverstone. She's com- almost completely an unknown at this point, at least theatrically. In 1994, she blasted it on the scene in th- not one, not two, but three Aerosmith yeah, music loved videos. Her. Amazing, loved her. crying, and crazy. <laughs> which I love those three films because that's the three words they think of. And they're like, so this is Aer- I'm Aerosmith right now. And I'm like, let's write three songs. Okay, I want to write. I don't know why they're British, yeah. but I'm going to roll, roll with it. All right. So, like, I'm going to write this amazing, and then I'm going to write crying, <laughs> and then I'm going to write crazy, because that's women, yeah? That's women. And it's just like, that's the fucking world we're working with here. And they they thought Alicia Silverstone, yeah. who's, like, barely 16, <laughs> like, just being all the sex in it those. Really and it's just like, rough. what a fucking yeah. time. It's really So rough. Amy Heckerling sees this and she said, and she has interviews. She's like, that's when I saw her and I knew I needed to do something. <laughs> I think she means like, not like save her. Right, right, I think right. she meant like, I need to like, all right, let's settle down fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's where everyone saw her. 
And she did something actually pretty interesting to me because she turned a largely silent spectacle of her dancing with Liv Tyler in like a cow, like a cowboy ugly bar uh, running away from the like literally schoolgirl outfits. Like it's not too far from what she's dressing in this movie. Right. So he, she's taking advantage of that. She's taking advantage of poor Alicia Silverstone being chewed up by all of this like nonsense that's surrounding her because she's beautiful and young. And remember, this is like not too far away from the Britney Spears. Time, it's like four you know? years, like four years before Britney. It's Spears. kind of salient what she's picking up on here. She realizes that she's this just thing to look at, right? And she put her into a complicated living, speaking character in a film that challenges rock discords and its idea about gender. Uh, is there a more male gaze concept than Aerosmith starring Alicia uh, Silverstone? No. And Liv Tyler doing sexy dances with each other? It's because rock gods are male and Clueless has some words to say about that. So let's talk about Clueless. The most solid friendship in this thing is Cher and Dion, right? I, yeah, I think that's... That's fair. <clears throat> Although by the end, yeah. the Brittany Murphy's Brittany Murphy's character. Oh yeah, she's yeah, but it doesn't start yeah. that way. Like that, this is not. It's unchallenged. Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. It's not. It just exists. Yeah, and it's named after two well-known female vocalists. Shares work with Sonny, and Dion with and with uh, Dion Warwick uh, work with Burt Backrack. Based off this, that's based off the spelling of Dion. I don't think. So I thought at first maybe it was like Celine Dion, and they took the last name. No, it's Dion Warwick. Uh, and they're both considered pioneers in the role of gender and creative control in music construction because they both had male partners, but they were like equally important in those collaborations. And they were like that. It was out in the world that that was true. So it was not just that they were doing all the work or doing half of the work. It was also that they were known for it. Right. That's important. Right. Because this is the, I think um, this is a, the first nod to Heckerling making us deconstruct ourselves, uh, like show us something and make us deconstruct how feminist, queer or minority artists are interested in like different properties of sound and visual palettes than those who are typically in more dominant positions. Like it, she chose to name her to her like strong relationship that is not challenged to people who had already kind of gotten over that hurdle and were symbols for this at the time so i want to pack it with one song though is what i think the movie's actually doing and it's over um britney murphy's like who plays the character ty, ty her makeover sequence yeah it's jill sobel's supermodel yep. people might remember i want to be a great supermodel. song great song <clears throat> which by the way if you watch the music video is basically jill sobel uh, goes to the same like she they cut her into footage of Clueless because it was made f with Clueless back when they did that uh, in music videos. So she goes to the same school as Clueless, which is like great. Uh, but it's also like it's just Carrie, the movie Carrie. So she keeps getting like dunked on by like all her classmates, and she burns the fucking school to the ground. That's the music. That's video. fascinating. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Wow. So the sarcastic tone of Sobel's voice, if you re-listen to the song, and especially when you watch the movie, along with the lyrics, it like reinforces and subverts the role of, I think, media and fashion in constructing glamour and beauty standards, right? 
I'm going to reference that uh, paper I was uh, referencing before with Asslinger. Uh, He writes that this reminds me of 1990s riot girl musicians and indie rock artists such as Liz Fair, who were interested in fashion and other things that were often labeled as, quote, girly, but sought to retain forms of agency by adopting ambivalent and complicated perspectives on popular and commercial culture. Sobel's choice to affect a teen girl accent with a particular Californian vocal uptick at the end of phrases combines with her own performance on guitar to simulate and endorse and satirize gender norms. That's kind of like what people were saying about that song, right? Now, I read another uh, like paper on this topic, and it's uh, just so I have all my shit in front of me. Uh, Marion Leonard writes in her book, Rock Discourse and Girl Power, Quote, often female rock performers appear to be labeled as subversive simply because they do not display or conform to particular modes of feminine behavior. To peculiarize such artists as subversive naturalizes the relationship between biological sex and feminine gender patterns. So basically, the reason I brought those two quotes up from those papers is it kind of reveals something very interesting to me. And I want to break it down basically question so how does one satirize or subvert an outdated trope by showing like conflicting imagery or like basically what this movie is doing how do you use tone and music but at the same time not reinforce the trope itself that's the tough part in other words in this case acting feminine and femininity or even simpler how does one's voice become atypical without like buying into the quote, typical part of that definition. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like, on the one hand, to reinforce... You're defining yourselves as an other. Right, exactly, by otherizing a a person or, like, a a feminist gender, you're sort of also reinforcing the the patriarchal pattern that makes it other. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's very, like... um, it's very Derrida, right? Like Derrida is this philosopher who has the who makes yeah. the argument like every uh, every piece of logic has within it the antithesis of its logic, uh, which, yeah, yeah, which right, I right, right. Uh, love throwing out to uh, ruin a party. <clears throat> it's my favorite thing to do to ruin a party. Oh yeah, it, it's a yeah. it's, a it's like taking a shit it, in a room. It's just that's it for that mm-hmm. room. Uh, yeah. it, it's hard to do. I mean, and that's that's the challenge that Clueless has. I would say in every aspect of it is that like. On the one hand, it is satirizing high school, uh, but by satirizing high school, it's sort of reinforcing high school. So it kind of walks this line where it's commenting on the vapid nature of these characters and their gender roles, but on the other hand, it's trying to distance itself from making statements that are reinforcing the bad pieces of it, And yeah. it, which is what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. It's, it's especially interesting to me hearing this to think of this being the person who cut her teeth on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Because, like, yep. that's a movie where, like, the gender roles in it are totally a bummer and, like, really reinforced. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the two mm-hmm. female characters, one of them gets pregnant because she gets used and abused by this guy in this class, and the other one is one of the most famous uh, male fantasy nude scenes of all time. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, like, it's very interesting to hear this as the way to think about Clueless because <clears throat> this director's had some time to think about that now, right? Yeah, and I think that we might find that she, she was doing a little... She was doing something more with Fast Times. I, and that's I probably think. true. Uh, but, 
that's the Saint that's Fast Times. I'm not prepared for that podcast. Me neither. Uh, but, but like, I don't know. But it, if I recall, it's not like she was like, yeah, male gaze pro. You know. Like, no, but again, if we're gonna make the point that 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 satirizing male gaze also reinforces male gaze, then you have to say. It, yeah. That fa- that fast times at Ridgemont High in some ways is a reinforcement to the male gaze. That's very uh, fair, and uh, and it's not the only thing. Like Clueless also fails in a few other regards. Clueless is a mixed um, bag in this way because it, it it's not yeah. always working at the level you'd like it to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's nineteen ninety five for you. Sure. Now is. the first parent. I want to talk about sidelining. Yeah. Like in order to do the thing that I think that she does actually succeed in doing, um, I feel like as always kind of happens and it's a goddamn shame. Uh, the appropriation and strength of one subculture will often come with it, the deconstruction or the sidelining of other cultures. And in this movie, it's definitely black and queer cultures because the first appearance of Murray, who, uh, is, uh, the Dion's boyfriend, you'll you remember the of actor, course. I believe he played Turk in scrubs. Oh yeah. Uh, he's, he's kind of fucking hilarious in this movie. He's funny. He's funny Uh, all the time. He's a funny guy. Yeah. He's a funny guy. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of scrubs. So he is Uh, one of the best parts of scrubs. He rules. Yeah. Yeah. He gets an intro, which is salt and pepper soup. Uh, and he's got like saggy jeans, right? right? At a party, Ty and Elton dance to Coolio rolling with my homies. Right now, this is basically on par with like suburban co-opting of another subcultures stuff. It's just like, playing the message uh you know like in a white and upper middle class or rich construct right it's that the movie's version of a teenager is uh upper middle class white not middle class uh, upper class like these are very wealthy yeah uh, people these are very these beverly hills people yeah um the movie and the soundtrack kind of shows how identification of nuanced like white teen cultures is there but uh, and femininity is there, but it sidelines racial and sexual minorities. Another example, this is Christian, uh, played by uh, Justin Walker, yeah. uh, who picks up Cher and um, he plays Billie Holiday, Miss Brown to you, uh, on his car stereo because he's a fucking... <laughs> I'm going to have a whole yeah, other he thing. He deserves a whole other him. podcast. He's, fucking, he's fascinating. He's fucking... He's kind of a great yeah. character. Uh, but like my point at this moment is that uh, because we soon realize that he enjoys Holiday and he loves the film Spartacus, uh, it means that Christian is gay. Right. And so dominant discourses <laughs> in mainstream filmic and TV and rep- and television represents gay male identification with female divas. That's one thing that's not great. The other uh, thing is that, I don't know, it's a complicated sonic palette uh, because the the film belongs to Cher and her friends, but Christian is another. Like they're not like dunking on her, him to, for being gay, but they are saying like, okay, then you don't really have any place in and, this movie then because you're not a part of this. So we see this before. He disappears. Yeah, once that so, happens. And I think that it's a very good point to bring up about this movie that subcultures in their quest to define themselves often marginalize like gay and lesbian people. So that there's lines of division within the bubbles that exist outside the mainstream because they're trying to define themselves outside the mainstream. So they need to kind of define what they are. And often subcultures do this to gay and lesbian people. Sure. But what's uh, so weird about it trans is people like and, it, it, yeah. it wouldn't even be like three, four years later when like the way to treat a character like that, which is also stereotypical, would be that he yeah. joins the girls. 
right? Like that's mm-hmm. the, that's what would happen in like in the the pilot of Sex in the City, which is four years later. You know what I mean? So like, it's just so weird to me that like this guy, it's like she mis she misunderstands that he's gay. Then uh, he also is like this weird like Rat Pack clone. Uh, although I liked the I liked the Rat yeah. Pack stuff, uh, but mm-hmm. like that makes yeah, him gay. A- okay, interesting. He calls her he, he when he first meets Cher. He, he's like nice stem. Dude, he <laughs> like, everything except for the fact that he reads William Burroughs is like pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go into I fucking that later, hate yeah. William Burroughs. I, I think that that's that's something else that she's up yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to detract too much. <clears throat> but I wanted to talk about this out in the front before because I think that its strengths do don't answer its weaknesses, but like there are strengths of this movie. And so while so out of that out of the way, kind of like while Clueless is undeniably a heterosexual tale, yeah. like Emma is, uh, it does take the emerging emerging musical tastes and scenes seriously when journalists and editors and mainstream music magazines and such in the recording industry clearly uh, struggle to make sense of music and gender. It doesn't make fun of them for liking music one way or another. So at least it's not doing that. But it is not a, a tale about black or queer people no they're know? in it but not it's it's not for them exactly so there is a bit of co-op uh like co-opting it but uh in clueless we talk about we're talking about girls we're talking about women rocking women popping in some cases because like that's kind of like the terminology i guess i would use for like it's got a very pop sentiment you know like there's it's not just the rock and and hip hop and such. These are all the like women can do one or the other, which is crazy because that doesn't sound like a lot. It's not, but it's much better than the conceit that still kind of plagues like women and rock label that is always like profiled the female riot girl. I think of like tank yeah, girl yeah, yeah. or I think of no doubt punk and rock musicians. Uh, there was a, another paper, Norma, Co- Norma Coates writes in another paper uh rock and the potential the political potential of gender uh there's this she had a good quote which was essentially kind of cutting through this and just saying rock is separate from women women are only related to rock by being allowed in the in of women and rock has an aura of something that will never be complete never fully integrated into the whole i like that women in rock that's just like a i like that that uh, she pointed that out. And I think that that's still very true because we look at it as like, Oh, it's diverse. Well, it does, uh, it does include a diverse and subcultural soundtrack, but clues rejects the sidelining of women, at least as artists and listeners. So let's talk about that. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about the visuals as well. Because I think the visuals, now I'm bringing in the visuals because now that we've kind of talked about how Clueless navigates the sonic space, there's something kind of interesting about how Clueless chooses its art style. And it kind of is also doing the same thing, is I guess what so I'm getting Can I to. just ask a question? I, I want to make sure I clarify one thing about the last piece. So, like, the challenging thing about Clueless to me is that Clueless is, is doing more than one thing at once and therefore uh-huh. feels a little scattershot. Like when I watch Clues, I feel uh-huh. like a, I feel a little bit like uh, it's not making, it's not making defined choices as much as it's sort of incorporating and then breathing in and out a bunch of different things, which I think your, your theory has acknowledged to some degree. 
Are you saying that uh, despite the fact that it, you know, doesn't have space for, you know, minority cultures and for uh, gay cultures, that it does a good job of rejecting the in and women in rock? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I yeah, think I think, so. I, I think I agree because when you stack up all that music and what it is, stack it up. it's pretty, it's a, yeah. it's a subtly it's a di- it's, thoughtful it's, you realize that every single track kind like that's at least kind of talking about femininity yes. or you know white femininity but, and not in a stupid uh, way like it's actually it's deconstructive sorry not in a stupid way though it's very it's very like no. like it's not like here we're just going to throw some cat power on and we did it it's it's a lot more thoughtful yep. than that no, it and I, I think it's good that you pointed that out yeah i think that that's 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 basically what i think that the uh, the soundtrack does show that's cool is that all of, like it shows when it had it did when it wasn't doing things like all right we're gonna do let it be or all right like, like let's put on this you know song that everyone knows they chose these other songs that are specifically ballads that are like fuck the establishment's version of defining well and see that makes it and that's, that makes the fact that the the only song that they discuss in the movie mm-hmm. is rolling with the homies mm-hmm. that I recall. They they discuss yeah. rolling with the homies, which is basically the track that summarizes Ty being rejected by these like sort of establishment El- men. And yeah. that's interesting. So like, there's a kind of correlation to yeah. that too. Anyway, yeah. just 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 adding uh, on. I just wanted to throw. I just I just want to pull a little sister uh, way. Yeah. The no. Yeah. Totally. And there's also uh, a sequence uh, earlier where it's like clear. It's it wants to do this kind of thing. It doesn't do it for all. Like like I mentioned, doesn't do it for everybody because it's trying to just do it with share. But, uh, it also does it all. Uh, when we look at Murray, Murray has that little bit where he's like, he calls Dion a bitch and then she snaps at him rightfully. And then he explains like, I'm sorry. I know that there's like some like street speak or whatever he calls it, which is kind of like a bullshit. He's just like, basically the way I'm talking, I actually, it can be very eloquent. And I can say that, uh, if you allow me to use this like specific type of language, I won't gender you. And I won't be like, I won't do that. So it's actually kind <laughs> it of, it can actually be indicative message, of a larger form not of affection. True. It's, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's like a grad speech. It's not true, but it's like, it's because it's still like kind of SNL yeah, yeah. jokes. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of everyone's kind of magical in that way, where they can suddenly be smart, um, right? Which is kind of yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk about the visuals and like kind of like the movie progressing through time, and like what you're presented with. So the title cards are kind of in this mod art color mm-hmm, scheme, mm-hmm. like they're bright teal, purple, yellow. They're vibrant colors that I would say like smack of like Andy Warhol or Kitty Powers. Yeah, sure. You know, that's just something that kind of comes in later about like the 19, the late 1955s, early sixties of it all. Um, the first segment is Cher and friends lounging around Beverly Hills pool. Uh, their bikinis look like the art deco floral print, like patterned sofas, you know, uh, the camera and editing strategies are like whip pans, quick cuts, inserts by clearly B unit directors. Yeah. Pub yeah, zooms. yeah, yeah. It kind of, and Cher literally narrates at the end. You're probably wondering, but is this like an Oxima commercial or what? The character's self-aware. Her life literally looks like an ad. Yeah. You know? I thought it was fascinating to bring that up and never do it again. 
So you kind of see where I'm yeah, going yeah. with. I'm bringing up Andy Warhol and I'm t- and self awareness and her life looks literally like right. an ad. I think you know where I I'm do. going. First ten minutes shows up, shares privilege, has her own personal high standard of how things should go, despite reality. Thinks of herself as helpful and intelligent, but we see there's obvious obviously cracks in her you know version of herself. I think you summed it up pretty well. With uh, it's kind of like an Emma uh, Emma character. It's a Jane Austen yeah. character. Um, she listens to her friend Dion complain about her boyfriend. She narrates over all of it and then builds up to a kind of canned response. Like, I helped. Yes, <laughs> so know? good. Uh, she thinks she kills her debate presentation in her mind. And even though the class cheers for her, like, mimicry of, like, what a teenage interpretation of deba- debate would be, while Sean just says straight up, no, you get a C. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> so she drives around with a license because she, quote, needs something to learn right. on. But she, we also see her swiping Beverly Hills McMansion, like, private cul-de-sac curbs. So it's like she's bad at yep. driving. So, like, we're just doing the gamut of she's kind – she has supreme confidence. Oh, yeah. Kind of a piece of shit, which I think a lot of people just took of dunking on these Gen Xers, am I right? You know? And then here we are, your sister writing down – all right, should I That's say the what, thing. as if and That's whatever? That's the thing. That's the thing. All right. So let me yeah. keep going. So the film is also highly color coordinated. Uh, That becomes, I'm going to talk about like all these art styles and why I think they're relevant in a second, but I just want to complete the Rondo. Like in the short segment where Josh uh, played by Paul Rudd and Cher driving a Jeep, they both wear impossibly leather jackets, head to toe, the Jeep, everything they wear, everything that is a part of that whole thing is black or white. Like, there's no way they did this. It's movies. It's right, kind of right, like right. when we were talking about the wedding singer, we do these color palette choices, but hers, it's like, it's so like she has to, it's the kind of thing that we've done a lot since clueless, which is like, let's make fun of like people who like to match their, I don't know, purse with their shoes or like to match, you know, like my jacket with the space that I'm going to be tonight or something like that. Like it's, it's trying to take the fun out of fashion. Yes. But she uh, also and wears we, amazing clothes. Her clothes are all so over good. the place. That's, and it's part about what I think the culture that she's specifically lampooning, uh, which is, you know, part of it. That's definitely a part of it. She does this with all of the characters yeah. though. Uh, we fully see them like, Basic as their identity will allow. Paul Rudd, who's supposed to be kind of like, he's like the guy you would say he was like outside of, like everyone else is a type, right? Does Paul Rudd have a type? Absolutely. <laughs> that even though he seems like just a schlub, a guy who just wears t-shirts and such. Uh, when like, not only does he play Cher's game of dry, dressing in like leather, not for her, but just because of like movie right. reasons, like, that shot of his like black Dickies jacket over a nineties, like thick black, white, black and white denim shirt and Ray bands. And he's reading Nietzsche, but, and he's at a McMansion pool. It says exactly what you need to know about Josh in one shot. You know, like he's just as entrenched in rich culture as Cher is. He just got accepted to college and is an open rebellion. That's the only, he's the philosophy student. (laughs) He's, version of what she is exactly it's the same thing so so it's lampooning all right right now the reason i keep bringing up like the 50s and the 60s and like the color coordination and uh like the colors and the mod art the appeal to uh the ads and such is i was surprised by the number of throwbacks in this movie of late 50s 
there's a lot of clothes that are also retrofits of old fashions. If you look in the background of shots, especially the school, there's a few scenes where women wear like cardigans or cat eye glasses. Uh, the visual motif of dabs and like sparkles, that's also in the, like, um, the credits, but it's also on like the walls or fabric, uh, of the school, like in posters yeah, and such. If you look at the hallways of school, look at Cher's outfits in her closet as well. And look at the Mighty Mighty Boss That's tones. all I looked at, the whole movie. It was astounding. They're dressed like 1950s yes. to 60s. Right, and look at Christian. They represent this like weird thing that happened in the 90s, too. And this is like the beginning yeah. of it, where there was sort of that, again, the Zoot Suit Riot thing, right? Where it was like a weird yeah. 60s re- reboot. Riot. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And they're the beginning of it. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Christian. Yes. Who, for no reason, is from the 1950s. Yes, no kidding. Everything about him is like, uh, like he's a yeah. detective. Ah, doll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah he's, a, he's a private dick. So we're introduced to uh, Christian, who has been framed already as like Cher's perfect yeah. man. He's basically a handsome 50s noir detective. Uh, and... You know how in high school we all had that one kid who dressed like the Rat Pack? I, I guess we did, yeah. <laughs> you know that trope, I guess? He calls her like stems, James Dean haircut. Uh, he also says he dug her answer sure, in sure. school. Uh, and he's seen reading Junkie by William I was Burroughs, immediately furious which when is, I saw that. Like, I love it. Full-fledged because, furious. Because you know what? that? Because it's so perfect. Because it's basically, for people who don't know, it's a one-hit, like... Um, he only wrote one. Uh, it's auto- semi-autobiographical, probably more on the autobiographical tale about a hero. That's all he ever wrote about was uh, being on drugs. And it's all he ever wrote about. And it was written for like a one-hit like subway writers, 1950s. Like you write in the subway in New York, you buy these little, you buy these books for like nothing. And you read it on the subway. Like that, it was pulp, right? I would argue that's all There's he ever l- wrote. Uh, but, right. you know. But that's how it was framed. Yes. That's like yes. that's the point. Like whether or not you qualitatively want to assess junk, this is not a book review body not podcast. Yet. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it came right, right, right. out of. And that's and I believe uh, who found it. Um, fuck, I'm trying to remember. Um, who founded the? Who founded the? Uh, no, who found who found William S. Burroughs? Who's the beat? Who's Ginsburg? Oh, uh, Ginsburg and uh, the yeah. fucking guy with the. The, the road trip bullshit. Uh, my, yeah, Kerouac. It was the beat uh, generation. Uh, yeah, exactly. So they're all beats and stuff. That's that's kind of important. Uh, Christian comes over later. Yeah. Because uh, they're like having a date and clearly Cher wants, you know, to have sex with him. Um, she talks about it after. Um, but he, that's not what happens. But what he does happen is when they're doing the date, uh Cher's dad's out of town, so he, he's, they're just have the run of the house. And he takes a look at the art pieces, because, again, high class, right, right. Beverly Hills, they just have art in the backyard. Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, I couldn't believe how much money this lawyer made, by the way. It was astounding. Right. Anyway, yeah. please keep going. Yeah. Uh, and he looks at two art pieces that are in Cher's backyard. He points out one sculpture, and he even knows the person who sculpted it. And it's Klaus Oldenburg. And so I decided to take a look at who the fuck is Klaus Oldenburg, because I don't know shit about sculpting. And here's what here's the cliff notes on him. He was an artist much like Burroughs, selling his art at like $5 a pop, usually in like 
I'll give you five arts for $25 <laughs> kind of stuff. And that's how he made his stuff. And he made typically like everyday objects look likes, like taking a woman's stocking and stuffing it with newspaper to look like something else that's also an everyday object. And the one that is in the movie looks a lot like uh, he has a very famous sculpture that's untitled, but people call the sausage which is probably not to Christian's gayness. Uh, another sculpture he looks at and he says, oh, this is an older piece, see, traditional, a very important piece. So he's kind of just as fake as Cher, not explaining or discussing with her the importance, just that it is important. Uh, they also watch Sporaticus. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this is from her voiceover. Because he likes Tony Curtis, who plays Antonionis. And the clip they use seems to be random, but it's actually a dialogue scene that Antonionis is having with a slave who served as a teacher for his master and he's explaining what his use is. Antonionis ends up in that movie to join the revolt seeing the quote worth of slaves as real people because, you know, Sporaticus. Sporaticus. But uh, it's kind of fascinating to me that what is she doing now? Why is it the beats? Why is it this... Why is it Warholian? Why is it why is everything fascinated with ordinary things? There's a shot later of that Apes 2001's Thus uh, Spoke Zoothastra, uh, Zarathustra, yes. sorry, over a black wireless phone and with a low angle and wide lens. You know I the do. shot I'm talking I was, about? Uh, I loved it. Please. It mimics Kubrick's yeah. shot yeah, of yeah. the monolith, in which that film represents knowledge and a like mysterious, ominous obscuring of like the answers to existentialism in this shadowy monolith. It's a joke aligning share or the Gen X love of the phone as on par with the formation of humanity. That's a joke. It's not bad. But again, it's a small, insignificant, everyday object blown out of proportion. Uh, or into proportion of high, yeah, I and guess, is equally a contextless. Like this movie yes. has no like, th- like it's so weird that they made that joke. Nothing in this movie would suggest they would make a joke like that, and yet they're like, and then right. there's this, uh, and because it's in the movie, it's it's the jokes that we do, you know, like mm-hmm. in a sort of uh, <laughs> what's the name of that art, that art, uh, like a Duchamp painting or something. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just uh, Duchamp. Yeah, it, very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dada and stuff like that. That Yeah, it, the mundane. That's kind of actually... That's kind of where I'm Thank going. you. Hegerlein is probably... I can't... I don't know why it's... I just can't help but like notice these things in movies. Why is she doing this? Why is she... Like, what's... What is the observation here? And... And then I started thinking about it. And then I realized that like you have to displace yourself into like where she was at the time of making this and what culturally everything was. Uh, and like herself as kind of a boomer. Right. Um, like what are they trying to say about the similarities of the culture of the now and the culture of the then? I think that that's, so I started to tug at that and then, I realized, and after some research, uh, you kind of realize that there there are striking similarities to the art culture and the music culture of the mid-50s to early 60s and the mid-90s to the early 2000s. So the the mid-50s to early 60s, it's kind of like the coming of age of the silent generation, right? 
which was pretty well known for being addicted to unwholesome entertainment media. People are terrified about their kids being raised by TV. The artists, the artists that uh, it created were considered a bad generation because there were beatniks that were paid that paid too much attention to like mundane or ordinary or frivolous things. Is this starting to make sense a little yeah, bit so more? Like, I think you're saying that this is like she's sort of seeing the cyclical nature of sort of generational mundanity. I think there's something in it because why would she spe- spend so much attention to it? I think this speaks more to, as a whole, the cyclical generational thing. I don't know about that because that that speaks more to the generation pointing it. Like I think that speaks more to the generation pointing the finger and saying you're mundane and ordinary than the silent generation, which is just a bunch of kids that were just doing what they were doing at the time you know like whether or not we think the silent generation sucks or thumbs up thumbs down that's up to you but it's like a matter of like usually when people look at millennials or gen xers and they say they're like this i think that observation says a lot more about the sure, person point on yourself than the actual thing. generation yeah exactly yeah. and i think the criticisms of that of like what is happening in this movie, therefore, are more revealing of the incompatibility of the generational worldview. Well, of course, much like that's this movie. that's one of the great shields yeah. that we have as Gen X and Millennials, right? Yeah. It's like the ability to be like, oh, yeah. you have a critique. Uh, well, we have advanced enough in critical theory that we can show you how your critique is actually a yeah. self-reflexive comment. It's like one of our yeah. it's one of our great superpowers as a generation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So what? So you ask, Abe, what's this all yeah. about? Why are you talking about music? Why are you talking about art? Why are you talking about how generations think about each other? And why are you talking about this about this movie Clueless, which is about self-identity? Yeah. Well, I think it boils down to while there's some clear shortcomings to this movie that I mentioned and probably a bunch more that I'm not even aware of. <laughs> there's a powerful stake in the portrayal of self-identification and femininity in this movie. Clueless embraces the timelessness of teenage self-identification. And it points out the errors of the past, and mainly that those errors are usually because they're tra- they're being defined by the previous generation's definitions. It's got a more inclusive sound tr- soundtrack, which is unique to the genre as a whole. It's got rebellious themes that don't necessarily prove it's a revolutionary film, but when you start to unpack its focus on specific art styles, about how ads brands, all these things that we determine, identify and define us is set by people who aren't us, then what ends up happening is that you have to identify your, we're all a part of that same struggle. And the arc of uh, Cher is determining who she is and how she must unlearn those previous assumptions not dictated by her. And then you realize that Clues is trying to give teenagers kind of a North Star through all this bullshit. And it teaches things like in- acceptance, inclusion. Uh, you know, there isn't really something that's important, I think, about Clues is that it doesn't have like, there is a whole setup in that typical teen drama uh, or comedy setup that is like, oh, now the friends are like, look at Mean Girls. The friends are now at odds because they're the thing that they swore would never destroy them, whether it was a boy or his popularity. Um, Now that is tearing them apart. They start that arc, but then Ty and Cher almost immediately say like, let's never fucking fight again. That was terrible. Why the fuck do we care? That is like, the movie opening up to a bunch of 
10 to 18 year olds saying, Oh, you are caught up in this definition battle that's happening between this generation. And we're sorry because now you're being pointed and told what you are, what you listen to, who are your friends, how you dress, what, what is good and what is bad. No, you define that. Their definitions no longer apply. You find it for yourself. And I think that that's the power of Clueless. Uh, yeah. And Clueless I don't know. definitely, I think you're right. Because I think that Clueless, defi- the power of it is not the power of most movies. Which is like uh, coming up with a compelling journey for a hero to undergo. And then compelling realiza- like realizations and stuff. Like the hero stuff and the emotional journey of it is not the most compelling piece of the movie. In some ways, I would say mm-hmm. the movie kind of loses its way uh, narratively because the stakes kind of end up being very low for the entire thing. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's taking the... When, there's actually a quote that uh, Rolling Stone quote by Peter yeah, Travers, yeah. the writer of the write-up in this, and he was talking about Clueless and another movie that came out in 1995 that was about teenagers and it was Larry Clark's oh, kids. God. I Have forgot that, that movie, movie came out that year. It's crazy. And he, and he had a quote that was kind of contrasting like, cause that's a lot more adult oriented oh, yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about like how kids are being like teaching themselves to be adults. It's like a completely framed differently. It's nothing like clueless. It's just hilarious. They both came out in the same year. And his quote was the materialism in clueless is almost as scary as the hopelessness in kids. And I thought that that was particularly telling. Cause I was like, really, I thought there was kind of a low stakes aspect to clueless, but it's true that when you do watch it, it is horrifying. Like you do realize that when they do 2001 and they show it over a phone, it is kind of scathing, but it's also the definition of someone who's a boomer determining what's important to a 15 year old. Yeah. That's the thing is like, I wonder sometimes if clueless is because like we started out this episode and we were venerating Amy Heckerling, but I think by the end of it, I'm like, I'm like, I think Amy Heckerling might have stumbled into something that was more zeitgeisty than she intended to that's say. That's exactly right. Like, that's exactly right. I think that it's a snapshot in time. Like all movies, it's a snapshot right. in time. If I'm not talking about craft in this show, I'm... You're capturing like, era. I don't yeah. care. Yeah, you're, you're capturing right. time. That's right. what you're actually... You're literally doing, actually. Well, again, it's, um, like, but, it's like Fight Club. Like Fight Club is a movie that's supposed to be... Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be a, a journey of like sort of revulsion like you're supposed to be revolted by what fight club is but instead it captured this fucking white angst uh gen x pain that people totally lost the point of the movie you know like we're not supposed to think brad pitt's a good guy but at the end of the movie we're like first rule of fight club is and we're quoting it to each other like assholes you know and I do think I, I don't want to take everything out of the power of Heckerling, me, me either. Because I do think that she's still doing that for like at least white well, but what's or at least but again, white women in general. It's fascinating. Uh, is a better way of saying. I'm it. sorry, please. Well, it's just uh, she's definitely she is making that observation of don't let a generation define you. I agree with um, that. I I think that that's very clear based off all the nods that she's doing and trying to make us think about. Well, when she was, who was she being told when she was growing up? Who was telling, who was making the rules for her? Well, the silent right. generation. Right. And 
So and now she's doing the same, but she, I think she's better than she was treated. I think that's the in the end, that's what we're talking about is we're talking about shades and shades and shades of generations trying to be better and better and better uh, until it's 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 just only getting better. Except for I would but, argue um, that that may not be true of Clueless. Like I like see I look at this and I'm like, well, I mean, you know, we all come with our biases, right? But like so comparing Fastmont Fast Times at Ridgemont High to Clueless, Fast Times has like real human stakes in it. And by the way, it takes place in the same location. It's still Southern California. It's like, you know, 13 years earlier, but it's in Southern California, uh, like right in LA. And it's in that movie, the stakes are emotionally very high and there's a lot of problems and it kind of wanders between people's lives and Clueless while while definitely locked into Cher's point of view, sort of wanders through its problems, uh, and I don't hate that about it. But like again, even <laughs> like Alicia Silverstone's dad, right? The dad in this movie, right? Who uh, Dan Hadaya is the name of the actor. He's yeah, Dan. Hedaya, he's been in a billion dude. things. This is one of my favorite he's roles great. he was ever in. Uh, he's fantastic. He's so good. Yeah. Like just when he comes in and Brittany Murphy's in his chair, and she's like, "Hi, nice to meet." You. He's like, "Get out of my chair!" <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. He's just horrible. I, li- I also like the character choice of like he's more happy with her arguing yes. out of arguing into better grades than if you yes. got the grades themselves. To the point of he says literally that line. Like it's is he's he knows that's yes. what he means. <laughs> like that's what you mean. It's like that's almost like an observation you make on someone's like he just cares. Like he doesn't. Care how i get the grades this fault on him this is their how they love i agree this is how it's so good it's very funny but again it 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 underlines the fact that these people have no problems and no substance like they're very vapid because the only thing that matters the only thing that matters in clueless at the end of the day is like did they look good did it look right? Did it come together the way that pleases you, art like aesthetically? Like you made so many good observations that. about that. You made because with the Paul Rudd arc, the, with the Paul Rudd arc, like there's at least something to be said about like she realized, like in her Dark Knight sure. of Soul, where she's run, sure. walking around town and not understanding sure. things. Right? Uh, she comes to the realization that she loves right. Josh because it's the only time in the movie that she defines things as not like once she starts to go after the midpoint into like like a recursion into herself where she's like i'm just going to try to do nice things right i'm going to try to be actually that's all she wants to do and it's like like i'm not even trying to like get points but she does like hey do you want to come to my party this this per this stoner that i you know like was dunking on this whole movie do you want to cut he's still thinks that I would want to go to his party. Yeah, I'll go to your fucking show or whatever. Yeah, it's just like it's she goes and watches like that. I think we don't want to be missing the message that, yes, it's doing the very candy coated Hollywood thing of just like, yes, involve everyone and everything will be. No, fine. no, no, no. It, but, you know, but and it's, it, I do see this is I actually do give Amy Heckerling some credit here because you're making a great, bunch of great points. We're fall. This is the hero's journey. We're following it, right? Like now she needs to learn to, to actually care about other people, not just care about people in like, just formally care about people. Right. Which is what she does at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. 
right? And that's the that's Emma's journey, by the way. Emma's journey is she thinks she's helping people, but it's actually a selfish act. And then she realizes, oh, I have to do something very different and make some sacrifices to help people. And so Alicia Silverstone's yeah. character is, in theory, learning I have to make sacrifices to help people. But the problem is that she gets rewarded instantly and easily for everything she does, even at the end. Like, even the love yeah. relationship that she has with Paul Rudd's character is very easy. There's no real tension in it. Yeah. It's easy for both of them. He, he's, and like, unbeknownst to camera, he came to the same realization. Right, he, he came to the same yeah. realization. And, and by the way, they're step-siblings. That's fucking weird. And, like, it's totally unaddressed. And it I mean, it's shouldn't not that weird. be unaddressed. It's not that it's weird. It's weird, dude. It's not it's that weird. It's fucking weird. No, 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 no. All right, then you think that, like, okay, so do you think that if you, uh, if you, let's say, knew someone from, like, fifth mm-hmm, grade mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that, and you're friends forever, and then one day when you're, you know, I don't know, 19, decide... <laughs> You know what? I kind of want to date this person. Is that weird? No, because they're not the same situation. Uh, in what, but like you know how their steps—they're not related. Let me put it to you this way: I'm not saying they're actually related. That's not the part that makes it weird. What makes I'll, it weird? I'll tell for you. you. Thank you for asking. What makes it weird is imagine yeah. both of our parents got divorced. Right, my parents got divorced. Your parents got divorced. Then imagine that yeah. your mother and my father decided they were going to start a relationship and they got married. Right. Yeah. Now that wouldn't be wrong morally necessarily, like to not technically. But I didn't know you. I've only known you for like. No, no. A year. But that's not the thing. That's not it, though. They've known each other for that's longer what than it, that. That's what clueless is. No, they've known each other for well, a few years. But again, it's weird because it's weird because like the relationship is totally context driven, and that context is a weird place for this relationship to start. It's weird. Yeah. I think he's only there for, like, they say it at the beginning. He's only there. They've known about each other, but they he's only lived at that house at the beginning of the movie. He, like, basically moves in. He's only there for college. Like, he lives with his, he lives, he lives elsewhere. I think the movie wants to kind of glaze over it, and, and it gives us enough that if we want to glaze over it, It is kind of weird, too. also, that the movie doesn't know what it wants to do, yes. because, like... Yeah, we're we're talking about this uh, before. It does this weird thing where it uh, it says at the beginning, or, or rather at the very end of the movie, uh, after they they kiss, yeah. right? And then then it's uh, there's a shot of a wedding, and it's the weddings between the uh, the teachers that they set up that share set up at the begin beginning of the movie, and uh, and then she says, "No, not us. What are we from Kentucky?" Right. Which is a dig on like incestual southern right. relationships, and then then the movie ends with them kissing right. again, and it's even more of a kiss. It's like a it's like oh fuck, this is a fuck kiss. So it's like the movie doesn't even know. Uh, is like, is it like, do, is she embarrassed by this? Oh no, it sounds it's like clumsy. she's not embarrassed. Wait, no, is she embarrassed by this? Yeah, it's it's clumsy, and I think that that's, uh, I think that's kind of like a lot of this I agree. movie. It's kind of clumsy. It is clumsy. You know what it's yeah. like? It's a little bit like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. Uh, very famously, Upton Sinclair wrote the, the novel The Jungle to make an argument for why workers needed to unionize and we needed socialism. And, and so yeah, yeah, Teddy yeah. Roosevelt, I'm saying this for the audience, I know you know. So Teddy Roosevelt reads it, right, while he's eating 
while he's eating some meat packing stuff, like sausages or whatever, because the book is about the meat packing industry, reads it and feels ill knowing how his food is made. And so he starts to order food packaging reform, which is the opposite thing from what <laughs> Upton Sinclair wanted. And he said very famously, it's like I aimed to hit America in the heart and I hit their stomach. Right. And I think that's what happened yeah. here with Clueless is that like Hackerling thought she was making a really incisive satire and maybe did make a satire because at the end she makes these jokes and then undermines them. But America totally fucking missed it. Like we just missed it altogether. We didn't see any of it. We were too busy saying as if and whatever to each other. You know, oh, yeah. like uh, taking we didn't notes. see any of that shit. Yeah. Like again, and I, I'm not trying to make fun of my sister. Every fucking buddy was saying this. No, that's wasn't everybody her was saying her, it, man. Sure. It took Austin motherfucking powers for us to stop quoting this movie to each other. Right, it's the only <laughs> way. Right. So like. I think Heckerling came in here with like some smart, incisive ideas and like kind of did a lot of undermining things, but didn't do them super clear. And then we were just like, fucking this is movies hilarious. And that's it. And don't, and don't forget that like the con, the, the conceit, the, the topics that she wants to talk about are so hard to talk yeah, they about. Are. There is no doing like, if your if your goal is to let's find let's make a movie that really encapsulates culture, you're fucking yeah, dead already. It's impossible. You're no. dead. It's impossible. So don't expect that like and moreover, if people are expecting my thesis to have like that like nice little end to it, like it's gonna be as unsatisfying as you probably find clueless, you know, because the whole idea is to start a weird conversation. And because it's only weird because someone else is making it weird and you feel obliged to feel right. embarrassed about talking about right. it in that way. It's kind of like that. Like she wants to point us at stuff of like, oh yeah, it's funny to make fun of these people, but they're real people. You know, it's like every, every time we do that thought, it's like, oh, all right. Yeah. But I mean, it's just like characters. Yeah. Yeah. But Alicia Silverstone is right now being leered at by an entire no country and she's like no 16. Well, uh, and can we like, briefly talk about her a little bit? I mean, I, I understand yeah. we've gone over and uh, it's not related to your theory. It's fine, man. Dude, it's she fine. is I love it. incredible in this movie. And I don't mean she, I can't believe they, she's, she like, no one knew. No she one is knew. a star in this movie. Like she, she kills the it. world in this movie. And it's hard to tell. Cher yeah. is if, amazing. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, no, no. I was just saying she's Cher's amazing. amazing. It's hard That's to t- it's like sometimes it's hard to tell if the actress is genuinely the same level of vapid as Cher because of like how genuinely yeah. she believes every bullshit thing she says. It's incredible. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things that it makes me think about, like how um yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know Alicia I don't Silverstone. Uh, I saw an op-ed for. I, I saw an op-ed on her. That, but she was very young when right. she made this right. movie. So who knows what was going? I don't on even. In that who can say? It's it's almost impossible to make something this successful and continue having a successful career as an actress after this. Right. That's my because yeah. I think yeah, she and knows. she became a star for th- for reasons that aren't the best reasons. But I just want to take a She was in a Batman. What's that? She was in a Batman. 
She was in she a was in a Batman, but that really hurt yeah. her career, I think, and and her self esteem. Oh, yeah, hurt everyone's. Uh, but yeah. I just want to say, like, taking a step back and not thinking of her as a sex object, obviously, but looking at her as a character and as an actor, like she is unbelievable in this movie. She is like she's taking. She's doing a thing that's so underappreciated. Like, it's so hard to be dumb and genuine in a way that's fun and doesn't feel rote. And she is crushing it. Crushing it. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she totally is the character. Like, in terms of, like, inhabiting the space and yeah. in front of camera. It's it's a great performance. And I think there's a lot of really good performances in I this. Agree. I agree. I uh, I wish they'd given a little bit more. I think Brittany Murphy's also fucking where yes. where'd Agreed. you come from? You fucking nailed. I love that she's like playing both sides yeah. at the beginning when she's like, got any herbal refreshment? Right. You know, like <laughs> she's immediately like like, all right, cool, we're now friends. All right, cool. You, you guys got any weed? <laughs> like it's just yeah. right out of the gate. Just like she doesn't even know their names. It's fucking great. Uh, I love, I, that's why I think it should feel like you're tiptoeing around this stuff because you should feel like share, uh, what she's doing with the, uh, the stoners and, and all of them. Like she's saying they're worthless. They're not worth anything. Fuck them. They're vapid, you know? Uh, and so you can't be seen with them and you should make fun of them. Kind of. She's not like mean girls going out of her way. It's done more gently spoil their day. She just chooses that they have no worth. And by the end of the movie, she's like, nah, that's stupid. Why am I doing that? Why? Probably because everything is setting me up to like, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to be this type of success thing. So she says that in her dark night of the soul. She's like, the only thing I realize is I'm literally clueless. Like I'm just right. so damn clueless and it's about like, all this stuff. I'm not thinking about anything Yeah, You're not thinking you're a child. That's it's fine. true, but like some movies, that would be a very dramatic moment. Uh, like, like oh yeah, if it was an adult, if it was an adult who's not thinking, yeah, well, that's a, that's or a sort huge of like, change. Again, I think this is representing the change that we all do when we realize that we like our actions have well, responsibilities. Well, we, have this, we have a similar arc in uh, the Breakfast Club with the most popular girl. Uh, she right. she has a similar realization that like these casts and stuff she's created are fake and she shouldn't be doing what she's doing and it's much more emotional, uh, more emotional and more it seems like a more profound change, like Alicia Silverstone's change, it's hard to believe it because you just know that after she and Josh are, start dating, she's still gonna be like arguing for better grades uh, as though it's not an insane thing to do, and her dad's still gonna be an absolute monster <laughs> and like they're gonna keep being rich yeah. forever, you know like uh, you just worry about it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I keep coming back to the, like, I I love that, like, critics knew to look for, uh, like, the, the Marion Leonard's, the discourse that she talks about, about peculiarizing artists as subversive, naturalizing the relationship between the thing that they're considered peculiar at. Uh, interesting. Uh, the idea. Yeah, the idea that female rock performers labeled as subversive because they're just not being feminine. And it's just like, that's fucking stupid. I think that's where Clueless is at its best. When it's trying to say, like, that doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to satirize gender norms in that way. 
Uh, <laughs> Clueless is ultimately. And I don't. I'm gonna do what I want to do. You fuck off with your definitions. I agree. Although I think that we're also reading it in just a little bit because, like, uh, because I think that I don't. I think it's more about it's un, that it's not clear than it is that it's actually taking a stand, like what you're saying. Like, I actually think that part of the reason that that take is possible. I don't think. Why do you think the obli- I don't think the obligation is on the movie to make that. Stand. I think it is. Uh, I I, if you want to be a good filmmaker, no, it is. No, it no. Mm, uh, well, yeah. If you want to make, I think she's clear about her message. It's just that her message isn't the clearest because, like we're saying, you can't make a culture movie. So I don't think it's fair to her to be like, "Did you answer all the problems, though?" Well, I, you know, like that's basically what you're more no, or less I'm asking, asking her to make a definitive. I'm asking her to to make mm. a movie that has takeaways that are clear. Uh, yeah, and it's because she's saying, "Well, what's your definition of clear?" No, then? because that's a that's the kind of question that you ask when you don't want to answer a question. Uh, like mm, it's maybe it's not the I way that I think it also has value. I'm not saying it doesn't have value. I just don't think that's the way a director would a- answer that question because it would be about I don't want to answer that. So here's I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to subvert it. Well, I don't give a f- I know I what you do, baby. You know, I know like you. I know what you're going to do, baby. I'm not saying me. That's what I'm saying. The movie. I don't think saying. it is. I, I think what's happening is that she, I think Heckerling's trying to make a more clear satire, and it's not working. That's what, that's my thought. Is that. I think like I like mm. I do think she did all the things you said and I but some of them are I think other people I think there's co- pulling these I think there's satirization and there's the comedy that she's doing which can like is a lot of what we're talking about how it lands flat but the message of the movie is completely different and those hodgepodge of things don't have no, to No, they don't have exclusive. to be. So but then what you're arguing is like so in some ways heckerling is kind of submarining our expectations for how a narrative works to make this other point that none of it matters. Uh, well, I mean, isn't that what redefining a genre is? Isn't that how she didn't do like how it's a reimagining of Emma? Like how else is it not just a redoing? Well, I think that's of what Emma? it was trying to do. Uh, I think it was trying to do a redoing of Emma, but like, uh, but the, it, it had some writing problems and it had some directing problems where, the stakes didn't really play because Beverly Hills has no real stakes. Like, I think she's like, I'm going to really lampoon these Beverly Hills people because they don't have any I don't problems. Think, I don't think the size of stakes matter. Oh, they, I think they because, do. Of course they do. I mean, they, they do in some things, but like this is, it still can be true. If it, even if it's just about like a teenage girl learning about, I agree. Who, like how I she agree. defines herself or any teenager doing that for that matter. That's not the biggest stakes, but it's but still like I'm not saying they're not big stakes about. because in in the in the universes uh, in the universe of all things that happen, those are small problems. I'm saying they're not big stakes because nobody feels that big about them. Like they don't matter within the context of the movie that much. Yeah, that's well, what that's I, I kind of. But like, so again, so just to contrast, let's use a movie like Step Brothers. Uh, which has the stupidest fucking stakes in the world, right? Like, yeah, it's not gonna. It's not satire, though. No, okay. So we have to have a. It's not a satire. That's just a comedy. We're talking. Well, satire. you're saying that's comedy, and I'm saying, well, yeah, but comedy does melodrama all the time. That's like what it. 
Yeah, that's comedy. <laughs> I don't understand what the problem <laughs> well, you're, is. You're, you're worming around what here. Is, you're what worming is around comedy? here with this. No, 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 no. no. Comedy is separate from satire, correct? Yes, they're separate from satire. That's correct. But Yeah, and so sometimes you do things for comedy. Sometimes you do things for satire. This is a satire. I disagree with that uh, broad stroke generalization about this movie. Because okay. it's not always a satire. Sometimes right. it's just a comedy. It has comedic moments, yes, but it is a satire. Well, okay, so, all right, then here we go. So, if it's a satire... Like, satire uses comedy, I guess. Yeah. A, it's like yeah, a method, sure. right, is how I see it. If you're it. saying it's a satire, do you think that it's successful as a satire? I think it's successful, yes, I do. And, and it's successful by showing how... Uh, your your argument is effectively like it's showing us that like these margins and labels you're trying to put on us are meaningless. They're defined by a generation who doesn't know what they're talking about. And the generation is the boomers. The generation is a previous generation. Right. So 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 when he reads William Burroughs and when he and when we see Frederick Nietzsche and when we hear uh, these like. I was tr- yeah I was just pointing that out as, as a parallel of like here's another here's what. Amy Heckerling was probably looking at as the like, well, what were you like when you were young mom and dad telling me how I'm supposed to be? Well, it's interesting because you know? yeah, I poking think... fun at that or it was just a funny joke. I just thought she was overly infatuated with the late fifties and the early sixties was I my thought point. She was that. trying to, okay. See, when I read that, I'm, I'm reading like a, a sort of, I, I actually kind of agreed with what you're saying until this moment. Cause like what you were saying before was like, uh, that like the in, the generation improves until the point where they keep getting better and better. And like my objection is not that the generations get better, but it's that because their lifestyle gets better, the problems and therefore the meaning get reduced. You know what I mean? Like that's how I feel about I'd Clueless. That like, Clueless is true. ultimately about being vapid and meaningless. Uh, yeah, but also that's growing. Uh, like I guess it's not. Were you saying that, like, me saying, like, generations getting better and better, but that's what's happening, no, or that's what ought to happen? Because that's, that's what I, I was saying, it was, that's, that's how, how it, should, it work. should work, is that we should, with things like Clueless and things that are, you know, after Clueless, like, our generation and the next generation and the next generation's version of whatever Clueless is, needs to be making these stands to slightly improve things. That's what I think should happen, and I think Clueless does succeed in that. About making I stands? I do think it has all these problems, because it inherited all these fucking problems, because the world inherits that part's true. problems, because time is... N- yeah, exactly. So, previous, so, the definitions battle... That's the thing that I think it is satirizing. It's trying to say, oh, you want a teen movie to be like this? Nope. Oh, you think that a rock star gets to define the career of a young teen? Nope. You get. You think that this is how like uh, a, a genre, this genre does a uh, female companionship arc? Nope. Like it's just constantly saying this. I, I refuse to be that type of movie. That's in uh, okay. I think maybe I do. Very maybe Jane I, Austen. That's very Jane uh, maybe Austen. Maybe I do agree with that. But I would. But I think where I, where you and I probably part company, is that uh, it has to be something though. Like I don't think it being. I don't think it's saying no. I refuse to do stuff makes it good. I think it's like okay, sure. But then what are you? Like be something. But that's your. You're asking for a definition. I'm asking you for the narrative it. experience of it being a These thing. Yeah, I agree. Don't I am doing that. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I don't think that 
but what what let's take it in the context of what movies sure, are supposed sure. to be right like they don't have to be anything that's a very sure. simple answer to that question they can just be a thing to enjoy and i'm not saying that that's what uh clueless is clueless is to me a satire that has a point but the fact that we have to like set it up to like yeah but how good of a satire is it really because this is how satire works is to me the thing that like the motivation behind clueless would rebel against it's an open rebellion to those definitions it's like i don't yeah my the person who found herself is not anything like me like have you seen amy amy heckerling she's not she has nothing she has no knowledge about like valley girls but i assume she knows what it is to grow up turn as a teenager you know in like like she might have grown up in this she might have grown up in the valley girl culture that's totally possible i yeah, it's possible, but I mean, I she made two movies about she, it. She's a boomer. Yeah, she did. But I, that's just that generation's version of it is all I was kind of saying with that. To me, it's uh, like it would clues is just saying you Valley girl or not, whatever doesn't really matter. Don't allow other people to just determine how this works searching yourself and find an answer of what you think matters. And once you do, you find that out, that will set you free. Is is that what you think? That's th- all it's saying. So you Which, think that's what Cher does? I think that's what Cher does. Mm. Yes. That, that's how the arc is. I mean, is she, she had, her dark night of soul is literally her walking around town thinking, why don't I, why am I getting this wrong all the time? And her realization is that she just doesn't, She's not equipped for that. And the second that she's saved is when she realizes, oh, here's things that I do want. And I'm now actually self-aware about my, like what I'm doing. Now I can just act upon those impulses because I want to be a nice person. So I'm going to start being a nice person. I love Josh. So I'm going to go and try to be with Josh. Hmm. That and then the movie. Yeah, but I, so uh, the part where I'm the part where I'm having a hard time getting on board with this, and I don't want to weigh everybody down with uh, getting the nuances of this right. No, no, I think it's a okay, fascinating great, great, con- so conversation. I don't wanna, it, I'm not good, bothered. So by I just don't want it to be tedious. So, like, the part I'm having trouble with is that, like, I don't get from that that like she's rejecting other people's labels. I do get the thing that you said about her realizing, like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to be. And uh, I am not equipped to do it. That part I agree with, but like I guess so. Okay, I guess cool. by extrapolation, the label thing. Tight, hang tight. Well, it's because so it's I high guess school. by extrapolation okay. because she's been she has no clear direction from anywhere. She's rejecting other people's labels, but it's not like it's about. It's not like it's a rebellion against some other labeling force. You know, like uh, I think th- no. I think so because she's determined. Look at the stoners. She looks at them and it, whether she defined it herself, everyone does it. They ignore that gr- part of right. the knoll because that's where all the stoners are. They're burnouts. Why? Because that's right. how it is. Right, 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 that's right. the definition she's trying to pick apart. The times that we go like, well, we can't do anything about it because that's just how it is. That's the definition that Clues wants to go like, fuck your definition of that. What do you mean when you say, like, I don't think that those those people are important. I've decided that they're important. Yeah. In my own head, that, I've decided. So for me, that they're part, important. I think, That's yeah, what I think, it, I think maybe saying. this is like parsing it out a little bit. Because like, to me, I think another high school movie that's doing exactly what you're saying 
is uh, it can't hardly wait. I've talked about it on a different podcast, but like can't hardly wait is all about yeah. the fiction of the caste system, right? Like it, none of it matters, and there can be a party where it all sort of comes crumbling, like comes you know crashing down. But like one of the things that makes that movie more clear about it is the fact that once the party is over, it comes back. You know what I mean? It comes back, and in this movie, mm-hmm. it's like Alicia Silverstone makes a decision. Kind of has a self realization. But again, as you said, uh, it sort of also reasserts the meaninglessness of everything because she gets rewarded for anything she does. If she makes a vapid decision, she gets rewarded. If she makes a moral decision, she gets rewarded. If she gets, uh, like, the, that's why I think Peter Travers is so horrified by the materialism is because the movie only believes in that. Why do you think she gets rewarded every, she doesn't get rewarded for everything. She fails her tests. She has a dark night of soul. She like doesn't fail the that test. She gets a B her, to or an A or whatever. She she can't oh, drive. Fails a driving she fails test. the driving test. I'm sorry. Test. Yes, that's correct. Right, 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 right. Yeah. She her her good friend uh, is, takes her popularity away from her because she's more important now for, for a half a minute reasons, again, uh, and then it's back. And yeah, and that's why that's because that's that's what's freeing about it is it's like, yeah, if you define yourself of like, okay, so now we're in all outright rebellion, I'm in war with Ty, I'm in war with the definitions of who can drive a car. That's stupid. If you just allow yourself to be free by saying, why am I allowing them to define what me and Ty's relationship is like? And Obviously, in the case of the like the car, she just has to learn things. But she comes to all these things with the realization that she's not allowing the definitions to determine things for her. She's just gonna be better. Yeah, I mean, right? I don't know. Kind of, I, I like. I just feel like I don't agree with all the characterizations. Uh, but I, but you're not totally wrong okay. I, like, at all. Like yeah. what you're saying is not wrong at all. I, it's just that like. Uh, I, I guess like I would agree with that if I thought the movie was executed a little bit better, but like again because uh, because I th- and I think it's a writing and directing problem because the movie sort of uh, ultimately whitewashes uh, any real consequences for her except for the driver's test. It's like the one thing that does seem like a permanent consequence. It kind of doesn't matter how her self realization goes. Like it, it, her self-realization is equally like she gets a, she gets a applause and a sticker and a kiss for that, the, the same as if she had never yeah. had that realization. There's a moment where she is giving to uh, she's giving and they cheer a charity for her. and she they takes all her stuff and they cheer they literally cheer for her and she brings uh, skis sure to and the, and her dad's like what where are they right, skiing amazing, amazing like, joke what the yeah. fuck do you, yeah, because Cher, Cher is a dumb. Bit, She's a little bit dumb. Yeah. bit dumb. yeah, and she doesn't understand that poor people wouldn't wouldn't use skis. But in her mind, she's decided that I don't need these skis. Why? Because someone doesn't have skis. So she has choos- chosen to be... She's dumb, but she's chosen to be better. Sure, sure. Like, that is, I agree. to me, the most uh, aligning... It means that anyone can do this. That like, part that's I agree fantastic with. The fact me. that anybody can... Okay. Anybody can come to... Doesn't mean if she's affected. That's true. Uh, or if she... And the fact that they all cheer her on, they were cheering her on when she was doing what her version of debate as well. Agreed. So like when Agreed. you point out, I agree with that. Uh, when you point out like she always succeeds, yeah, that's kind of what the that's kind of the joke. Though. But that's what ultimately makes it not like, an effective satire. 
Or maybe it makes it incredibly effective if the satire is nothing means anything. If the sat if the satire I mean, is nihilism, it, I agree. That's not, you know, it is that. No, that's not exact. It's not out of sorts of not what exactly. I'm saying, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, off. yeah. Because what I'm saying is your previous definitions are un unuse not useful and need to be redetermined. That is kind of like saying the language we're speaking right now. We'll throw it out the window. So it is nihilism but it's, in that regard. But you're the one that's but putting the like, word language and label it on our, it. You're putting the word language and label on it. And it's not that those are not the terms that the movie uses. That's a that's a reading into it, which is fine. And I don't. I don't. No, they use things like ads and music. Fuck me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying that uh, that that when when we're putting that language onto this, it's like you're we're sort of rephrasing the idea of is there anything that has meaning? And you're saying, well, it's only the labels anyway. And I'm saying, yeah, but I don't think the movie necessarily believes that. I just think it's accidentally saying that. I think that's what... I don't know. It's so consistent. Why else would you do it? That's all you have as a f director and like as a person who's showing images and sound to me. It's just like, keep showing me these same images. I don't... What, what am I going to deconstruct out of that? Well, it's that you're clearly saying a statement about that image. What, is, what about... What's similar about these images? What's the pattern here? And that's what I came up well, with. Well, I'm not, I guess. I, but I don't think it's invalidating your theory, what I'm saying right now. I just think that we're coming to different conclusions about what it means. You know what I mean? Because, mm -hmm. like, because what you're arguing for. So, what do you, so what are you saying? So, you, what are you saying that, uh, like yeah, what are you saying exactly is different? The thing that I the thing that, well we've kind of run now. around a bunch of things, so it's it's hard to remember exactly what all the things that we were right. that, that we were debating. But just pick one, let's say. <laughs> just pick one and we'll go with it. We'll uh, go with that one. So I think the part that I'm objecting to the most is I'm objecting to the idea that this movie is effectively an argument against previous or other people's labels for uh for meaning and instead as a like i'm going to create my own meaning right like like you're making the case for kind of like a an existentialist film and i'm saying i don't mm -hmm. think the movie is that thoughtful i think the movie is actually it's just no, playing I with think types it's, i think it like... is suggesting how the the cyclical vapidness of things the way that you're saying it is we agree on that like your observations mm -hmm. about what is happening i totally agree with all of them I just think that the movie isn't knowingly saying, and because you see how all these things are labels, you see how all these things are meaning indicators and like uh, they don't fit mm -hmm. these people, mm -hmm. they're rejecting them. I'm saying, no, 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 I think the movie's saying, and I don't know if it's doing it consciously, like it's applying all these different pastiches of meaning and then sort of exploiting them for tropes, but never really commenting on any of it. Yeah, I see. I see. That's why we have a problem talking yes. about the stakes of it and why yes. the stakes are important. Because it's not that outright rebellion or rejection of something can just be ignoring it to me. That's and I think that that's a little different. Yeah, from that's you. interesting. Because like, if you just say like, "I'm in rebellion against this capitalism," how are you in rebellion? I'm just going to choose not to do capitalism. <laughs> And they're like, well, how are you going to do that? I'm going to figure it right. out. But that's she an outright rebellion. Out. I'm going to ignore she opts it. She uh, When it's so living and breathing and part of culture, uh, you know, how to become a teenager is, um, you kind of have no other space to play. So 
it's true that ignoring it is a form of outright rebellion to me. Now, uh, more rebellion would be like, let's burn down the definitions of I what it clear ha- like, rebellion. And that's kind rebellion. of what this is a Hollywood version of that, which is kind of like, that's more to say than most movies is I, my point is that it's saying like to ignore these things, these definitions to ignore these things that she thought were important. Like, the ads, like the, you know, the art and the culture that people are saying, like, like Christian says, like, it's a very important right, right, right. piece. Well, why the fuck is it important? You fucking yes. Yes. rat pack yes. throwback. I agree with that. Yes. I th- no, because you don't know. You're right. just a kid and you just like Spartacus because you're gay. It's fine. You know, like those definitions are weird and it's hard for a teenager to navigate that space. So it's easy. It's a great message to send to teenagers don't worry here's a north star just accept include don't and ignore definitions that no longer apply to you boy i i you know what man that's i wish the movie was saying that i i don't i don't think it is i think that's what it's saying man <laughs> I, i'm sorry i i I, <laughs> I do like that conclusion we i don't need to prove it to you that's just that's what i saw in it that's what i saw in it and i was like wow that's more than i was going to give the clues credit for yeah i i i i just think i would need to see the hero make a decision to leave more accurately like to to actually refuse to participate in the other things that give her labels to see that in it you know what i mean like that's the thing that's right? missing for yeah. me is like she makes a decision to like, I'm going to do things that are actually nice that don't directly benefit me. Like that's really this, the movie stakes on the surface. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do things that don't actually always benefit me, but then they do benefit her. And so that's why the movie feels like it doesn't have any stakes. Uh, but you're saying, well, that's actually a choice to not, I, you know what you're saying? I don't need to summarize it again. Uh, I do enjoy this yeah. argument though. I think it's fun. Cause like it, it does boil down to like preconceived, like sort of, uh, well, it, it's presuppositional, right? As all arguments are. It's also exactly, it's exactly, I knew this is going to happen too. It's exactly how we both are, are very different. Well, right. You know, like, like, like our versions of ourselves, our avatars of ourselves that we yes. have in our head. Uh, it, it, this speaks to like, I, you, you would not, you don't like my, you, you wouldn't like my theory and I love my theory. And of course, like that's what I'm feeling and reverse. You're like, Abe's trying to spin this out to be something. It's not, it, that makes, it all makes sense. I, I to do me like the theory. Me, that's know? not true. I do like it. I, uh, the difference is that yeah. like, I'm not saying, I, I don't, I'm not accusing you of spinning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean you dislike it. I just mean that you're like, you're, you're like, it, it doesn't quite work on me, I guess. Is uh, I, I see when I look at it, I'm thinking like, I just don't agree with this one conclusion about it. Uh, the rest of it okay. I totally agreed with. Uh, but maybe that's just nitpicking. I am a nitpicking person. I do that all the time. Uh, that's not my best quality. Uh, my best quality is my beard. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong about things. I'll give you that. You're not usually not wrong about uh, things. Sometimes. So I'll give you that. Uh, sometimes I'm wrong. It's, it's also when I am yeah, wrong. We're all, we're all human. When man. I am wrong, it's, it takes me forever to see that I'm wrong. It takes me so long to see that I'm wrong. Uh, well, just don't let don't let culture's definitions of what right and wrong is define you. I love it. See, actually, it's funny that you say that because to me, when I try to define the difference between us about this, it, the difference is fundamentally mm-hmm. like I I would like to see intentionality in the work. 
I want to see intentionality in the work. Mm. I want to see that the work says it. And I want to be able to see it in a way that is demonstrative and explainable. And I don't think you're as beholden to mm. that. I think you're a little more free to read into it and say, like, yeah, I don't need it to always work for everybody. I just need it to work for me. Which is so funny because all I do all day is spend time saying, like, this directorial mechanism of camera proves this and formally that is important because but it's fundamentally X, a standard of it's a standard of proof die hard uses lines diagonal yes. lines to determine speed you know like i, I i'm fascinated yes, with are. systems this system just so particularly the end of that system is there is no I, god that, i knew that thank you because you've named it you've named exactly the thing so yeah. You did a good job. Yeah. You named it exactly the thing. So, like, I agree that the movie's saying there is no God, uh, but I just don't agree with the hope that you have applied to that because I don't think the movie's saying it. I do think that mm. I do think that what you're saying, Maybe you're right. by the way, what you're saying the movie says is a hope message for the way the movie believes the world to be. I would agree with it mm. if it was in the movie. That's the only difference is I don't think it's there. See, like, there's. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. See, like Who a movie like say. A Prophet. Have you ever seen A Prophet? Oh, a yeah. Prophet's fucking Prophet's awesome. Good. Uh, a Prophet it's, it's, is a movie that does kind of say what you're saying. Right? It, it, like it is. It, it, I mean, like we could go into a whole thing. It does yeah, say Yeah, that's it. true. It's a whole different. Yeah, it, it kind of has to deal with like how prison but works. But also but like, yeah, it's, it's a, a subcultural system. And yeah. who belongs where and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. So mm -hmm. like what, yeah. but like I feel hopeful at the end of a prophet. Do you feel hopeful at the end of a prophet? I kind of did. I no. kind of, not hopeful like it was good. Hopeful like, I feel like, wow, that was a really meaningful, interesting exploration. And, and that's like, that's and, true. and like it feels inspiring in some way. So like, I'm not opposed to the message. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, it's, it, I just, uh, I, I think you and I have different ideas about what it, what a, how do I say this? I think we have different ideas about how much authorial intent matters. I think we might have different ideas huh. about that. Yeah. I th I'd say that that would be true. And I would ask you not to tell me my <laughs> definition of authority. I'm not telling you what it is. No, I just uh, think that they're different. I know you're not. I'm just being I love, a I love troll. it. It's uh, a good joke. Yeah, no, I think that might be true, but that's something maybe we should work out. Should we? No, ourselves. no, let everyone listen to it. We're going to talk about, we're going to, okay. no, we don't have to keep talking about it. I'm just joking around. Uh, maybe there'll be a part two where we'll, 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 We'll rewatch Clueless and continue well, I just, this conversation. You know why this? <laughs> or you'll you'll find we'll watch a Prophet. A Prophet is too good of a fuck. movie to do for this podcast. Rules. I think. Uh, I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so uh, it, it is a compliment to Clueless that Clueless it, it spawns this kind of an argument because like it is a, there is yep. a little bit of a Rorschach in that movie. You know, like there is, mm. I, I, I'm not denying mm. that I, at all. I think that's what makes it so good is that like, it was a really powerful reflection of America to America and America didn't see that it it's was a, a problem. snapshot. Yeah. Yeah. It really is a picture of yeah, 1995. It, it, it fucking is. It, it's, that was your argument. And it, it's kind you of know? amazing 
it's kind of amazing because like like I can see how TV does that all the time, but like for a movie which was made like in 1994 and then released in 1995, it was it still really super was. relevant. I agree. In 1995, and that's crazy, and it's still kind of relevant now. If you do some mental gym- gymnastics to like do like like there's some well, I parallels. Think that, I think know? it's a, it's extremely important to see a movie like Clueless in 2020 because Clueless is uh, whether intentionally or not a harbinger of what it's like for the wealthy versus the not wealthy. It's just that the not wealthy oh, aren't yeah. there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. That's what that's what I was talking about the sidelining that yeah. happens. That's just we kind of have to bring it up with every film from the past forever. But this now. one, you know, whenever but the this now is, one is absolutely yeah, guilty of it because it's about that. Oh yeah, it's about culture. It's it's asking you to. It's inviting the conflict, and that's that's rough. That's hard Agreed. to shoulder Agreed. as a director. Well, and like you, uh, you know, we're all trapped in the time we're in. Uh, we're, we're all saying and believing things now that are going to look stupid in 20 years. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, uh, exactly. If you think that you figured it all out, take a long look at history, my friend. Uh, doubt that very much. Yeah. Doubt that very much. Yeah. Anyway, we did an hour and 50 minutes on Something clueless. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Two, two white guys <laughs> talking about a movie for white girls. Uh, in from 1995. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I hope that everyone in I, I don't know. Maybe the audience will tell us that they hate this. I kind of like the I like when episodes get uh, like when we get into the nitty gritty of an argument. Uh, I, yeah, I hope you I hope you like it. I like it. Uh, I like it. I, I think it's yeah. I like it. Uh, it's just funny to me because it's like um, well that's something we're all figuring. Like it's weird to me only because like that's something we all have to figure out sure. for ourselves. And like, why are we broadcasting it? But as I say that it's kind of cool to do that kind of stuff out in the open, because I think that that's how people should, they should, I've made mistakes now and they're all, I, don't, on, know if they're you, I don't think you did make a mistake and, or you've yeah. made mistakes or who knows in, a, maybe this podcast will go into a time <laughs> capsule into the future. But like, so, so when it comes down to it, I think, uh, it's, it's good to do, you know, like this kind of stuff. We, we have the superpowers of yes. like not giving yes. a shit about it, or we have the privilege of not giving a shit or about both. it. I don't even know. But the, the point is we did it and, and it's, they heard it's, it it's happened and now, now it's here. And, Tear us apart, well, you know, I, I, or whatever, because that's why we put it out there. The audience is we welcome to tell us that you're they're not interested in the philosophical debate of meaning in, in movies for as a part of director piece. Uh, and I will listen to that because I, I do understand that this podcast is fundamentally about filmmaking. Um, but I can tell you mm. that Abe and I, as a part of our relationship, this is a regular feature in our relationship. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a, it is. I'm surprised it took this long. Well, to we did a little bit of it in Paranorman. Yeah, I know. It's I always feel bad, mine. dude. I, I, I hope you wouldn't make I that connection. Never. I'm like, oh, Mescazaro <laughs> is great. Yes. <laughs> I feel bad now because I didn't want you to feel that way. No, it's not. Uh, this is also a part of what we do. Is that I, uh, I. I go out of my way to make fun of him. He never does that to me. He's a super nice guy. You, I always make you sound yeah, like yeah. you're an asshole. And then really what it's happening is we're just I'm playing being types. an asshole. Uh, so. We're playing types. I, I yeah, definitely yeah. live I, under the, the guise of an asshole uh, for the sake of comedy. 
for sure. Yeah. I also live under a guy's yeah. asshole, so yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. That's my favorite you. of your many word twists. <laughs> Love it. Well done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> good. That's it a is. good one yeah. to end I also on. live under a guy's asshole. Well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks hey, for talking to uh, Clueless, me about Clueless. Clueless is great. About a, a theory I like wrote. I I really took like a while to write, write this. Way too long. Like I cut. I'm not. I'm not stuff. even remotely surprised by that. I feel like you could have gotten into like I could have heard a three hour spiel on this from you, and I wouldn't have been surprised. We could have talked about the generational yeah. thing a lot more, but I wanted the music thing to be. Go watch Clueless and like. If you want some homework, yeah. If you'd like listeners, that, yeah. uh, watch Clueless again and look at like how, the use of language. I'm not just talking about the as ifs and the whatevers. Look how characters talk uh, and how they talk to each other and how flexible how flexible they are at like just uh, knowing what the other person means despite talking completely different languages. Yeah, um, it's kind of one of the things I probably should have mentioned just because it. It's, it's another like feather in the hat of culture doesn't matter. People matter kind of assessment of things, you know, like, no, but, but that I, don't I, need to get I actually really it. Just like watch that. it and come to your own conclusions. That I like. Yeah. I, it was really good. It's, it's, I think she is. Actually I think we really should do writer. a director piece that's um, on a soundtrack. Uh, because I think you could. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there's movies that like if you were ever gonna do a, an Empire Records director piece talking about what the the soundtrack means would be amazing. Jesus. Yeah, that's I didn't talk about the shots of Clueless because they're not like, no except for really the first about, piece you know, where she shots. does some filmmaking and then after that she kind of bails on it. Yeah, and then there's a quote of 2001's yeah. I pointed those out, but like. That's Definitely not why not. you talk about Clues. What you talk about Definitely is you talk not. about this. This is what Clues is about, you know? Um, I don't know. I really liked it. I love the, the three girls' relationship. I think it's a super effective thing. I, enjoy, I agree. I agree with that. Of that generation. I, we enjoyed... And we need another Clueless for this generation that, like, applies to update. I would love Keep to see updated. that. Like Emma. I would love to see a new, a Clueless for yeah. now. I would love to see that. I think that it's got to be Agreed. done. I think it's it, it'll happen eventually, but uh, should happen every like yeah. 20, just like where years. are we now? Agreed. Yeah, let's take it. Let's make a teen comedy that like actually matters, uh, like is relevant to teens. Isn't just like a forties something. But it would have to be in public teens. school now, right? It couldn't be with the. It, it wouldn't be the upper class yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Is we're in a dark time now. Uh, it was also a dark time when, like, this is a kind of dark time. We're they're about to be in a dark time in '96, uh, or, or at least white people didn't know it yet. But like, yeah, because now we're gonna move into the TRLs and the Britney Spears, <laughs> and like, it's all gonna break apart. The illusion yes. is gonna shatter. And then finally, so, they will summon their final form, then, Paris Hilton. And then twenty years later, there's gonna be rioting yeah, no in the kidding. streets. So. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's a picture. It truly picture. is. Uh, and, uh, and that's I, an it is. If you've stuck around this long, you must be a fan of small beans. But if you happen to have stuck around this long, engaged by our many, uh, word quibbling and, uh, masterpiece illuminating dialogue pieces, 
You can find more of this, uh, not exactly this, but other things like it on the Small Beans channel by going to patreon.com forward slash small beans. If you have a couple of bucks, we'll take them. We'll take those bucks from you and uh, make some more podcasts <laughs> if you'd like that. Uh, we have a few. Yeah. So we, we'll take it. Yeah. We'd love it. Thank you for you bet. thank you for doing that, Adam. And yeah, <clears throat> you can find I'm Abe Epperson. You can find me at uh, Abe the Mighty on Twitter. You can find me you? on Twitter at the Real Adam. Gans with a Z. Uh, mm-hmm. You know other places. And, uh, props. And next episode will probably be a U Jam where we you and talk. You, you're gonna for have a long time. you're gonna have a fucking uh, knife ready for me one of these days, and I deserve it at this point. Mm. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you're gonna get, get ready it. for yeah. it. You're gonna have, you're gonna have to count your sleeping hours. <laughs> Great. I hope I do. All right. Good talking to Love you, man. buddy. Talk Love soon. You, this has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at Patreon.com/slash Small Beans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Small Beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.